Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Let's take a look at the church around the world with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. He is vice president and editorial director of EWTN News, a senior fellow at the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. He's authored or co-authored, edited more than 50 books, including the first English language biography of Pope Francis. And uh, again, he's... uh, Again, these are remarkable reference works that he's done. The Encyclopedia of Catholic History, the Pope Encyclopedia. Uh, you know, this takes this takes time, and it takes an attention to detail. Matthew, good to have you here. Uh, privilege to be with you, and a blessed Advent uh, to you and uh, everyone in the audience. Uh, thank you. I've often wondered the kind of patience it takes to put together an encyclopedia of Catholic history. Uh, it, it's a labor of love, for one thing, and uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it's, I say that genuinely because we, we love the Church, yeah. all of us should, uh, but it's also um, a commitment to helping people to understand uh, more about the Church, and I always laugh that if you read it from cover to cover, you're going to be great on everything that starts with A and then B and then C, so <laughs> Pope Zosimus might be a mystery until you get there, but... Uh, <laughs> I'm hoping at some point the the first editions came out many, many years ago, and it's my my hope to be able to update the Encyclopedia of Catholic History and a few of the other reference books that I've done over the years. It's um, a question whether or not uh, there's the kind of market for reference books, but I think there really are. Um, We just have to embrace the the technology today. Uh, and. But understand that the information that's in there is still valuable to people, and I think there's a lot of interest in it, based certainly on the the responses I still get uh, from readers who find copies of them. Yeah. I I find uh, reference works are still very helpful. I I like to have them right at my fingertips. I like to turn to them. So I'm all for it. Uh, I I use the Internet quite a bit. I have a digital library system of 40,000 volumes. Um, But... I and I use it for various things, but still, when I'm sitting right. there at my desk, you know, I don't want, want to necessarily boot up the, the digital library system. I want to just reach over and read read an read an article. In, in the, well, and it, it, it's a, a a longer kind of sociological and even generational question. But uh, one of the things that is making a comeback are printed books, and I can speak to that somewhat anecdotally. That one of the things I like to do on uh, long international flights, the transatlantic flights in particular, is just to get up. You want to stretch your legs anyway, but then I do like a, a little census of who's reading what and how. Oh yeah, flights. yeah. And I do find it very interesting that uh, novels, apparently, uh, paperback novels, hardcover novels, are increasingly popular. I, I would say, based on again my own experience of roaming the aisles, <laughs> uh, is that people really are finding them of great interest again. Yeah, uh, it's it's a connection with the printed. Material. It's it's mm-hmm. the printed word. Um, as a, as a young kid, I was introduced by my mother uh, to the Lord of the Rings and the the paperback uh, editions of the time. And it's one of those things that stays with you for the rest of your life. I right. can still smell the way that the books, the pages of the book, the way they smelled, and just the, the feel, uh, the, the tactile connection that you make to these books. And I think we're starting to see some of that come back as people consciously or not feel the need to disconnect uh, from the digital world, uh, but also to disconnect from 
the devices that seem now to be permanently attached to our hands. <laughs> to our brains. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, considering that the, the human species seems to be changing how it walks, uh, because we're, our gait is now much shorter, because we're, we're peering at, at phones and screens so that we're not taking long steps for fear of falling off a, yeah. down a stair or something like that. But th- those are the changes, and I think there's... Um, an unconscious rebellion, as I was saying, but I think also in, in some cases is a deliberate one. And that's where uh, the return of books uh, can be handy. And, and I yeah. think it's why, despite all of the, the digital reality that we have today and the importance of things like Kindle and others, uh, that Amazon and a variety of other booksellers, especially in airports and elsewhere, continue to thrive. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, let's uh, let's talk about a few things that are out there right now. Um, I protesters in 50 Spanish cities are praying the rosary today. Uh, <laughs> can you, or actually tomorrow, excuse me. Um, can yes. you tell me what's going on there? Well, we have uh, uh, seen throughout uh, Spain uh, these reactions uh, to the what is, I think, one of the most aggressively progressive uh, Spanish regimes uh, that we've seen in some time. And uh, to the point now where we are also seeing an effort uh, to combat that uh, for what Catholics across Spain see uh, as really aggressive anti-religious fervor, mm-hmm. uh, especially on, on the part of this uh, the government. Now that the Spanish government questions the Spanish Socialist Workers Party and uh, obviously tomorrow is the, the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. December 8th, uh, and let's remember, too, that the Immaculate Conception is considered a patroness of Spain. That's right. So Spaniards across, as you noted, um, many, many cities, perhaps more than 50 cities, are going to be gathering to silently or very vocally uh, pray the rosary. Now, that has added uh, a great deal of tension uh, and attention, in part because uh, the government itself uh, was accused uh, last week and in subsequent days that somehow the the rosary had been banned. Now it's uh, technical. There there are various aspects to what was actually being banned, but uh, essentially the an organic law that impacts the ability of people to gather uh, provides a notice that public events have to be given to the government like 10 days in advance and in some cases 24 hours. Hmm. But uh, in this case, uh, the rosary itself, the request to pray the rosary, uh, had been communicated to this government and they had no response uh, that uh, usually means that, yes, you can go ahead with it. But we know that uh, the, the government in this case did eventually uh, give an order that declared that you could not recite the rosary. Now, that's almost un- unbelievable yeah. uh, that in a country with the the history of Spain, uh, A, uh, the magnificent Catholic Christian history of Spain, but then also the, the nightmares uh, that have been perpetrated in Spanish history. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think of the Spanish Civil War, for yep. example. Uh, against the church, against Catholics, the the wholesale massacre of priests. And murderous. Nuns. It was murderous. Yeah. Exactly. That um, such a rule would even be considered possible. 
but uh, the government certainly intended to persist with this, and, and that's where I think these protests are of some importance. Okay, very good. Uh, the We learned, too, that uh, in Nic- going to Nicaragua now, uh, back uh, across the uh, Atlantic, uh, we have the jailed Nicaraguan bishop, Rolando Alvarez, apparently now uh, willing to leave Nicaragua. Uh, do you know what's behind that? Yeah, uh, the reporting's been uh, done by uh, the, the pillar, uh, to its credit. Now, by way of background, uh, let's remember that uh, Bishop Rolando Alvarez, uh, who became such an important figure in Nicaragua uh, for resisting the oppressive qualities, the the oppression of this regime by Daniel Ortega, and was subsequently arrested, uh, sentenced to 26 years uh, in prison uh, in what is generally considered uh, the worst prison in the whole of Nicaragua. Uh, It's called El Chipote. Uh, It's considered even one of the worst jails or prisons in the whole of Latin America. Uh, And there was a story earlier this year that uh, he had refused uh, to accept a deal that hypothetically would have allowed him to be exiled to the United States, along with about another 200-plus political prisoners. What uh, the reporting now would seem to indicate, uh, we'll have to see how this plays out, of course, for various other forms of confirmation, is that uh, Bishop Alvarez may not actually have been given the opportunity to accept that deal, or that the deal itself may have been unclear at the time it was offered. Uh, now that it doesn't really change the fact that Bishop Alvarez is such an important figure in resistance to uh, the regime of Daniel Ortega in Nicaragua. But what it does say is that it calls into question again, not that we really needed it, about the veracity and the good faith of this totalitarian Marxist regime uh, that is now in full control of the country. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Hi, do you, do we know how ill he, uh, he is right now? Well, I think this is one of the concerns uh, that the pillar again is reporting uh, that uh, his condition has deteriorated uh, significantly while he's in prison, and of course, other various details have been emerging about uh, his overall treatment. And in this case, um, we could be looking at uh, a deteriorating medical condition for him, and. While the government itself continues to insist that uh, that the bishop uh, is receiving medical care and mail and visits from his family, uh, it's unclear whether or not, again, those statements are actually true. And if that's the case, then uh, as his health deteriorates, uh, it may be even more important for some kind of a negotiation to be achieved uh, that helps him to either leave the country or be released. I think the option most likely, if assume that the regime itself doesn't simply want him dead, uh, is for him to be part of some sort of a negotiation that leads to his eventual exile. Uh, but the question is, does the Ortega regime want such a prominent figure uh, to be out there speaking so publicly uh, in defense of human rights right. at a time when they are under such vicious assault? Well, speaking of uh, prison activity, Bishop Joe Vasquez of the Diocese of Austin uh, celebrated Mass last week at the prison housing Texas's seven female death row inmates, five of whom have converted to the Catholic faith during their time awaiting execution. Uh, 
remarkable That's right. story. Uh, it is. And what I find uh, so telling about these is the, the beauty of uh, the, the conversion stories that can happen uh, under those circumstances. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I salute uh, the outreach that is always there. Uh, I think uh, the prison ministry that we have in the church is really quite a, essential now. Yes. No, I, I agree. And I think we, we these are stories we want to hear uh, because they don't normally capture the public's attention. They need to be uh, published. They need to be put forward. And I'm very happy that uh, Bishop Vasquez uh, let this story be known. So I'll hold it there, Matthew. We'll take a break and continue on the other side. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta, and with me, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, Vice President and Editorial Director of EWTN News. Looking at stories, uh, we try to get together once a week uh, to look over stories that are popping up around the world that are uh, important uh, to the Catholic Church. And I see that the Board of Trustees at the University of Notre Dame has elected a new president, Father Robert Dowd. Uh, once again, a congregation of Holy Cross priests. I think they successfully had a congregation of Holy Cross priests from their beginning uh, as president. And um, tell me, what do you know? I mean, he, he's been on this program in the past discussing religious liberty issues on the continent of Africa. I met mm-hmm. him years ago when I was in Rome uh, for the Under Caesar Sword Conference. But um, our topic's always been fairly narrow, so I don't really know much more. Uh, about him, what can you tell me? Yeah, I think uh, one of the uh, the ways to describe uh, Father Dowd, and that he will bring his own uh, unique experiences and talents. Is I think, uh, as you note, uh, he is a member of the Congregation of the Holy Cross as a Holy Cross priest, um, who is also an associate professor at Notre Dame. He's a Notre Dame grad, so mm. he has long-standing connection there. Um, but I think one of the ways you can describe this is that. Uh, he is a, a form of continuity, I think, with Father Jenkins. And what I mean by that is that uh, I think Notre Dame is always looking to have that stability mm-hmm. uh, in their leadership. And um, the the board itself, uh, in a statement, seemed to emphasize that, that uh, his efforts, of, uh, talking about Jenkins, is to position the university extremely well in every way. It says we want to build on those efforts. And again, as they say, informed by the Catholic mission, we will work together so that Notre Dame is an ever greater engine of insight, innovation, and impact. Uh, so again, as you note, um, he is somebody with uh, considerable experience in Africa. He had a, master, a master's degree in African study from UCLA and ultimately a, a doctorate in political science in 2003. So he's been on the faculty since 2004. So he's been there through quite a bit, uh, almost 20 years now. Yeah. Uh, so I think he is certainly somebody who knows Notre Dame quite well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you know, I mean, I, do you know anything about this uh, drag show that was supposed to be going on on Notre Dame's campus? Do you, I just saw a headline on this, and I don't have an article in front of me, but I was curious if you know yes. anything about it. Well, this was um, part of a program, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, that they wanted to bring in um, 
a variety of, uh, let's just, shall we say, experiences. Mm. Uh, and uh, from that standpoint, I think there's been quite a bit of concern along with uh, some of the pro-abortion activities that have taken uh, place there. I think the, the, the drag show itself uh, was in October, and a number of students, as I recall, really were very public uh, in their condemnation of uh, something like this. Uh, and it was part of a, a course that was taught, and uh, I think the, the class had a title something along the lines of What a Drag, Drag on Screen, uh, Variations and Meanings. So it was through the film, television, and theater program. Uh, this is all, all reported by the, the Notre Dame paper, The Irish Rover, which, of course, is uh, itself been uh, subject to uh, some hostility on the part of progressives because of some of their reporting, mm -hmm. especially about, again, those pro-abortion activities that seem to be taking place there. Yeah. Uh, let's... Pope Francis uh, uh, his, had cardinal advisors who were hearing from two female professors on women's role in the church. Now, this is... Uh, how does this how does this play into this, this story line that's been developing with female theology professors uh, writing to Pope Francis and making their positions known on uh, women's issues in the church yeah uh this is uh this one really caught my attention in in part because uh, of the setting in which several uh, theology professors who are, are women uh were in the presence of Pope Francis, but not just of Pope Francis. Uh, they were actually asked uh, to speak to Pope Francis's Council of Cardinals. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a gathering, as, as you know, Al, that has been here really from the start of Pope Francis's pontificate, of this advisory board of cardinals, a number called the, the C9. C9 yeah. <laughs> then it went down to C6, and then uh, we're back to C9. Uh, but the significance, to my mind, is that this is something that Pope Francis seems to consider very important. Mm -hmm. And we know from the Holy See's press office, Sala Stampa, that in his meeting with them, uh, they discussed uh, the Council of Advisors uh, a number of topics. Uh, we know that obviously the Synod on Synodality was a topic. We'll come back to that in a second. Uh, but also what's going on, obviously, in the Holy Land and Gaza and, and the Ukraine. But, uh, and this is connected to the Synod, uh, as the press statement says that the center of reflection was the theme of the role of women in the church, which was something that uh, was much discussed at the Synod on Synodality. Mm -hmm. And then we had Pope Francis just a, a few days ago talking about uh, the dangers of masculinizing the church and listening to the voices of women. So in this case, uh, two theologians, uh, one is a sister Linda Pocher, um, and the other is Lucia Vantini. Uh, both from Verona, I believe, and both, I think, are significant in the sense that um, to have two women theologians, uh, Sister Linda Poker uh, works or teaches at the Pontifical Faculty of uh, Science of Education, uh, also, I believe, in Verona. And for them to be, or in Rome, but, but for them to be presenting to this Council of Cardinals, I think, is a significant development, just in the sense that they are now canvassing as much thought as possible from women theologians. Now, I know that uh, many would have immediate concern about, well, that's great, but what are they actually teaching? Yeah. 
yeah. and what are their positions on things. Uh, one of note uh, is um, this doctor, Lucia Vantini, uh, who has doctorates in philosophy and also in uh, theology, uh, one from the uh, theological faculty from Padua, uh, the other from uh, the University of Verona, and is an expert in moral philosophy and theoretical philosophy. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't know exactly what the topics were uh, that they addressed, but I think overall it's Pope Francis' a continuing effort uh, to hear the voices of women uh, and to have them involved uh, in these discussions. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, so this, I'm, it just seems as though this is going to be an ongoing th thing. Uh, but we do, is this advocacy? Uh, do we know what their particular, are there positions that they're advocating? Well, and that's uh, the interesting part, because as, as I mentioned, uh, the, the Sister Poker is, uh, she's a Salesian of the Sisters of Don Bosco. She's a professor of Christology and Mariology. Uh, and... In that sense, I think uh, the Vatican, we can pretty much only go on what the, the Vatican communique said, uh, that uh, the, the Council of Cardinals agreed about the need to listen, even and especially in individual Christian communities, to the feminine aspect of the Church, so that the processes of reflection and decision-making uh, can yeah. enjoy, as they described, the irreplaceable contribution of women. Yeah. And that, that's certainly consistent with what Pope Francis has been saying for a long time. Uh, and and I know he likes this. Go, he likes this uh, Marian uh, principle of the Church and the Petrine principle of the Church that uh, uh, von Balthasar wrote about. Uh, that's right. And so, and that was a reflection that the Council heard from. It was a paper uh, from uh, Sister Poker. Okay. Okay. So that's what so she was. She's not an unknown quantity. Gotcha. Uh, to to this Council. Well, let me let me switch over uh, to Gaza. Uh, we forget in all of our discussion that there is a Roman Catholic Church in Gaza. There's only one, apparently. Uh, it's got to be difficult times for them. And uh, uh, what do you, what what, are you, what can you tell us about things there? Yeah, uh, as you can imagine, the situation for the, the parish is Holy Family Parish, which is, uh, as you note, uh, exactly right, Al, that this is the only Catholic or Roman Catholic uh, church in Gaza. And we are uh, at, in need of as many updates as we can possibly have, because overall there are about 1,500 or so Catholics uh, living in Gaza, and that number, now, of course, is much reduced um, because of displacement, and we're obviously always concerned about uh, the plight of everyone who's caught up in the fighting that's going on there. Uh, we know that uh, this parish has become something of a an important point for Christians, but also just civilians caught up in this because of the, the horrendous terrorist attack by Hamas on Israel two months ago two today. Two months ago, yeah. And the Israeli response. So hundreds of individuals now have taken refuge, civilians, uh, in the parish. Now, for by way of knowing where it is, it's on the northern end of the Gaza Strip. So it's been really in the forefront of uh, what has been a, a battleground now uh, for some weeks. Mm -hmm. The pastor there is Father Gabriel Romanelli, uh, and he has from time to time been able to uh, give some interviews and to get word out. Uh, I think he's been there in Gaza for about six years, and 
was able then to communicate directly with uh, the Latin Patriarchate of Jerusalem, which is then uh, posting these interviews. So as you can imagine, uh, information uh, is at a premium, and, and some of the technology is, is difficult. Yeah, yeah. But what we're seeing in this um, in this interview is the the levels of destruction that they're seeing, uh, and the impact uh, that the fighting has had uh, on uh, both the Gaza Christian community writ large, Catholics in particular, but also the Orthodox uh, that uh, also has a presence uh, in Gaza itself. Okay. Uh, one also, can you tell me anything about uh, this majority Christian state in India? I was not aware there was a majority Christian state uh, in India, but apparently it's a place for refugees now uh, to escape ethnic infighting there. Yeah, uh, what we're seeing more and more uh, is uh, the persecution of Christians around the world continues, and I would send everyone uh, for these and almost all of the stories that we talked about today. It's either the Catholic News Agency or National Catholic Register at ncregister.com. There's a a reporter by the name of Anto Akara. Uh, I have the privilege of of knowing him a little bit. Mm. Uh, Has been one of those voices who's been trying to get these stories out over the years uh, as the world just doesn't have a lot of interest. But in this case, you're absolutely right that thousands of Christians are trying to start a new life after being displaced by ethnic conflict in India. Well, Matthew, thanks. I wish we had more time, but uh, I do appreciate you taking time with us, and uh, Lord willing, we'll talk again soon. Amen. Be safe. God bless. (laughs) Dr. Matthew Bunsen, we will have follow-up on all the conversation that we had with Matthew in the Crested Guest Archive.